Okay. Down to business. I got my wild cherry diet Pepsi. And uh, I got my blackjack gum here. And I got that feeling. Mm. Yeah, that familiar feeling that something rank is going down out there. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life. This is a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 140. And it is brought to you by the Documentary Academy, your A to Z documentary filmmaking program that will transform you into the documentary filmmaker that you've always wanted to be. Find out more at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. Hello, 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 and welcome to the very first episode of The Documentary Life, a podcast in many ways about living your dreams, more specifically, your filmmaking or documentary dreams. You may or may not recognize that clip, depending on when you started listening to the show. It was the very first opening from the very first episode of the first season of The Documentary Life. Hard to believe that it was over four years ago. Our son, Flynn, was only two years old then. Our daughter, Maya, only a few months. I had a few less lines on my face and a lot less gray hair. (laughs) I was using a different microphone, a different mixer, even a different theme song, which, by the way, I don't think made it beyond that first episode. Although it actually feels a lot longer than four years ago that I first took to podcasting, Many of my goals for the show remain the same to this day. I wanted to connect a community of documentary filmmakers that long had seemed to be isolated and lacking in necessary resources. I wanted to talk with other like-minded storytellers from around the world. I wanted to gain access to certain documentary industry people I wouldn't maybe typically have access to. And I wanted to combine an old life with my current life. That is, my days in radio with my documentary filmmaking passion. The format itself has changed multiple times over the years. We've been a bi-weekly podcast, then we went to a weekly, and then back to a bi-weekly again. The nice thing about doing your own show is that you have the luxury of figuring out what does or doesn't work, and then you can adjust appropriately. I've split time between full shows with my own segments, full shows with doc industry guests, and of course the most recent iteration, which has been a hybrid of both. I guess you could say that the nice thing about doing your own show is that you have the luxury of figuring out what does or doesn't work kind of on the fly and then you can adjust appropriately. In terms of topics, we've always set out to explore both the craft of documentary filmmaking as well as the lifestyle aspects associated with living the life of a documentary filmmaker. Although, if I'm being totally honest, I never fully allowed myself to explore the lifestyle topics or guests in the way that I really wanted to, which was probably out of some silly fear that I might lose a significant number of you. 
I wanted to talk more with you about, say, the benefits of a meditation practice or how to raise a family as a doc filmmaker than I did about, you know, f-stops or better ways to shoot b-roll. So I suppose in that way, maybe I wasn't entirely true to myself. Today marks both an ending and a celebration of sorts. For one, it is a final show. The last episode of the documentary life. Usually when I end the season, I take a look back at highlights from that season. You know, guests that we've had on the show, favorite listener segments, maybe a few testimonials and thank yous. And for this episode, I'd like to do something similar, but also something a little different. For one, I'll be taking a look back beyond this latest season, and I'll be traveling back into the archives, pulling out particularly interesting moments from shows that span all 139 that came before this one. I will also be celebrating the show, giving thanks mostly to all of you who have been with this program over the years. I will probably mention a few names, but that is not to exclude anyone if you're not one of them, for I have come to appreciate and be fond of any and all of you whom have ever reached out via email to say hello, been a part of our TDL Facebook community group, shared the podcast with another documentary filmmaker, attended one of our webinars or classes, been a member of the Doc Life or Elite Mastermind, or just downloaded shows in an effort to feel more connected to this greater community of documentary filmmakers. I have deep and resounding gratitude for you, Doc Lifer. <laughs> It took seven and a half years to make. Uh, we shot for about four and a half. So I mentioned that one of the reasons that I did this podcast was to possibly gain some access to documentary filmmakers that I might not normally have access to. You won't be surprised to hear that at the top of this list is legendary doc filmmaker Steve James. And not only was he generous enough to come on to the show, but he joined me again just a year later. I would come to learn from other members of the doc community just how approachable, humble, and relatable Steve was and has always remained. And this was certainly in evidence when he discussed coming up in the filmmaking ranks. I can remember one very distinctly. Um, I can remember two, actually, but and it's they're, they're very different. One was <clears throat> when I was making Hoop Dreams and we were, we were limping along without money. And I was, you know, this is when I was a PA. And I worked on this one particular job where the um, the production coordinator at one point uh, came over to me, and and my job on that on that commercial was really low level. A friend of mine who worked in as a PA, we used to have a a scale that we we called it the HQ scale, the humiliation quotient, <laughs> and and uh, and so and so this was a high HQ job and. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the, the, the production coordinator came over and she was a nice person, you know, probably five, six years younger than me. Um, I was in fact lying about my age at that time. Yeah. I, 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 I'd shaved three years off of my real age. Totally. Um, and, uh, uh, and so anyway, she came over and she just complimented me profusely for the way in which I kept the set swept up. Oh. And, and, and how, how I was so, so valuable to the team because I didn't need to be told to go pick up the trash. 
uh, and sweep up. I just took it on my own. I, I showed real initiative. Uh, you know, she just was going on and on and on. And I know that in her mind, she was thinking, I'm doing that very thing that I just talked about a moment ago, that she was appreciating <laughs> yeah, someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what she didn't realize is, is that it was the most humiliating, one of the most humiliating uh, moments. Um, and after she left, I called my wife oh. from the set and I said, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah, this might I, be it. <laughs> I, I think I may just have to. I, I just don't think I can do this. And, <laughs> and, and she gave me some encouraging words and said, well, you know, just get through this. Remember you've got your project. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, don't, don't, you know, which was very valuable. Another Stephen, Stephen Bognar, who was on the show very recently, came on to discuss he and his wife, Julia Reichert's film, American Factory, a film which took home an Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature. I asked him about that moment. And I almost got the sense that he was joyful to relate to a fellow documentary filmmaker what that moment was like. It's sort of an overwhelming moment, and there's a practicality to it that kicks in that suppresses your ability to appreciate the moment. Because on a practical level, you have to stand up, and then you have to step into the aisle. And then, you know, I put out my arm, and Julia loops her arm through her left arm, through my right arm. And then with her right arm, she has to bundle up her dress. So she literally does not fall down. And then we have to step one step, two step. And, you know, it, I'm trying to sort of re um, replay that moment. It's like you go into a mode of practical uh, necessity of what you have to do now because you've got to get on that stage and say your say your fleeting remarks, you know. Um, so, uh, it, I mean, it's an overwhelming moment, and I, it really didn't hit me till we we got backstage, and 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 that because then because then you know like we didn't trying not to fall down, literally trying not to fall down on the way up to the stage, and then trying to finish our speech before the music swelled was our sole job mission purpose in that moment, you know, and then any kind of appreciation of the moment or gratitude or um, reckoning of what that meant would come later, you know, on a very, and I'm not kidding. It's just, you realize you have to, you have to do that. But as soon as we got backstage, I felt like this huge, huge wave of gratitude. So I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge our Doc Lifer Elite Mastermind group, which began over a year ago. Anyone who doesn't know about the group, it was intended as a way for Steph and I to reach more directly Doc filmmakers and their projects. It has allowed us to dive more deeply into their films and their biggest areas of need. And it has brought together a group of like-minded individuals with one purpose in mind, to receive and offer support so that we all might produce the kinds of documentary work that we can be proud of. So I wanted to thank all of you, both past and present, who have been a part of the Doc Lifer Elite Mastermind Group. Patrick, Walker, Todd, Andrea, Julie, and Shannon. It has been very gratifying to connect on this level with you and to follow your projects throughout. I think that it's safe to say that we have all inspired one another in both our doc projects and our doc lives. 
and I continue to look forward to our weekly meetups. One of the segments that I'm most proud of allowed me the kinds of creativity that I hadn't really yet tapped into on the show, but I'd clearly been wanting to do. It was constructed in a way that could both be self-contained and it could run along with the rest of the show's programming. It was the segment known as Chris in Cambodia. It ran for nine straight episodes and it allowed me to relate stories of my own experiences on my current documentary project in hopes of sharing direct current experiences with those of you who were also currently working on your own projects. It was also a way for me to process what I was doing with the film, as well as it gave me a little creative latitude that I felt was lacking in the podcast. I wanted to stretch the storytelling aspects a little bit. And although to some this may have been perhaps a bit self-indulgent, it is work that, as I said, I am proud of. I'm happy with it. It was deeply satisfying to produce. And I believe that it showed in the segments. From the response that I got from listeners, I think that it was appreciated as well. As I ready myself to get into it, I am reminded again of Setsuchara's mother and her smile that could penetrate even the darkest corners of this country, of which there were certainly many, and how she so warmly greeted us a few years ago. This time out, she had done much the same, and she had immediately asked about Steph, Flynn, and our additional little one, Maya, whom we had added two years prior. And then she upped the ante, informing me that her family now considered my family to be a part of theirs. That in her mind, our families were now forever entwined. And as I look at her daughter in my frame, I brace myself. And I ask my sister what it was like that fateful day five years ago, only weeks before we'd left Cambodia, when her father, Sinchanchaya, had quite suddenly and inexplicably fallen down in their home, in the Sinsisim Association, most likely already gone before his body had even impacted with the floor. Speaking of self-indulgent, there were times throughout the history of the show where I admit I may have brought on some guests who I really, really wanted to talk with who were not documentary filmmakers themselves, but whom I really, really wanted to have a conversation with. And if I'm being totally honest, shh, don't tell anyone, I may have used this platform to have a conversation with these people. I hope it wasn't too obvious to anyone, and I always made sure to have these conversations connect in some form to documentary storytelling. Take, for example, my conversation with William Hitchin, or Nick, as anyone who has watched the incredible documentary series known as the Up Series, or 7-Up Series to some, would know him as. The Up Series has always been one of my favorite documentaries, and one I highly recommend to anyone who hasn't yet seen it, and Nick being one of my favorite people in the series. There was just something about the way in which he grew up on a farm in the Yorkshire Dales, eventually becoming a nuclear physicist that I found very inspiring. And the way in which he seemed to construct his thoughts in a humble, down-to-earth, very real manner. He was a man who, while dealing in very heady matters, never seemed to take himself too seriously. From the Yorkshire Dales, Nicholas. He goes to a one-room village school four miles away from his home. I'm quite a lot of fun when I fight. 
it. I always like to wait till someone... You better watch out for me, cos as soon as you're not looking, I like to dash up and put my hands in front and, and hit them against your back. They were roaming the Yorkshire countryside. They approached my school. They showed up at my little one-room schoolhouse mm. and they filmed different kids. Okay. And that's all I... They asked us some strange little questions and that's all I remember. Oh, wow, wow. Now... The experience of being filmed yeah. has always, I mean, if you're asking about that, has always been one of the most surreal experiences of my life because <laughs> I always say that it's basically it's seven days out of every seven years. Mm -hmm, now, mm -hmm. that's an exaggeration. It doesn't actually take them seven days, maybe four on wow. average. Okay, right. But they show up, they take over your life, they whisk you around, they have you walk up a hill multiple times it's always walk up a hill with me <laughs> well you know, you know where you're from i think it's a, they're just hoping to hearken back to that it's your character now right <laughs> sure but then they get to madison they have to walk up a hill in madison and apparently you know the first five times you didn't do it right yeah i also spoke with former war correspondent and controversial journalist nate thayer i'd been trying to strike up a correspondence with nate for quite some time but to absolutely no avail you see, Nate was famous for being the only Western journalist allowed access to Pol Pot, the man who spearheaded a genocide in Cambodia in the 70s. It was the first time any footage had been taken of Pol Pot, post-genocide. His first-of-its-kind footage kind of went the equivalent of viral, including an apparently shady deal with Ted Koppel, which eventually led to Nate being one of the only journalists who publicly turned down a Peabody Award. Koppel called me up from... New York after they'd refused to talk to me for nine months or pay me their initial written agreement. And then I won the Peabody Award and then he called me up saying, you know, uh, kind of, oh, congratulations on winning the Peabody. I said, fuck you, where's my money? I'm going to the uh, Peabody Award and I'm going to tell them pimp ABC is now you guys are a thief and insult to the institution of journalism. Uh, and uh, uh, so within like 24 hours, they sent money to my bank account. Incredible. But, but, I, but I showed up in New York at the Peabody Awards anyways. But Koppel had to get up on stage. So I brought in a, my written statement of rejection of the award and I tapped Ted Koppel on the shoulder from behind. And he hadn't seen me since he showed up in uh, Bangkok, wow. uh, you know, promising me the world. And I swear his face turned white. I, I'm sure he thought I was going to punch him out, which, you know, that I don't punch people out <laughs> except in writing. Uh, and, uh, uh, but I handed him the thing. So, uh, he, you know, they basically thought I was insane uh, and didn't, <laughs> they knew that there's, <laughs> I was a loose cannon. So he had to get up on stage and acknowledge that I'd rejected the award.
There are plenty of places online to learn how to do things like split the audio signals coming into your camera, or how to animate some of your still photos, or get some great tips on lighting your interview. Many blogs, YouTube videos, and of course podcasts where you can quickly grab an answer to a tech-related question. But what if there was one place where you could learn from beginning to end how to make a documentary film and how to become a doc filmmaker, how to raise money and build an audience for your doc, how to form strategic partnerships and launch your doc out into the world, and perhaps even, if you can imagine, make some money from it? Well, there is such a place, and it's called the Documentary Academy. Steph and I took two years to build out this comprehensive resource that takes you step-by-step step from story creation and pre-production all the way to post-production, launch, and distribution. The Academy takes you through your doc filmmaking journey as your most confident, active, strategic, creative, focused, and articulate self. It is a step-by-step -step guide to empowerment in the documentary filmmaking world. We know what we have in the Documentary Academy. Now it's up to you to discover what you have as a doc filmmaker. Do that today by heading over to thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. One of the things that I've always appreciated about the majority of documentary filmmakers is their basic humble nature, usually accompanied by a fair measure of humility and gratitude, and even humor for that matter. There are very few star-studded Hollywood celebrity types in documentary. We've had on, as I said, Steve James, Stephen Bognar, and Lynn Novick and Sarah Botstein, to name a few. All incredibly respected and well-known names in the documentary community. All of whom seem to show nothing but the aforementioned humility and gratitude. The brothers McLean and Chapman Way were no different. They had just come off of Netflix's immensely successful Wild Wild Country and had agreed to come on the show. Even today, many episodes later, this is still one of my favorite conversations. Just business-wise, and I kind of said it earlier, is I really, truly believe, like, invest in yourself, you know? Like, if you, if you believe in yourself, if you believe in your talents, if you believe in your story, you know, invest in the, the cheapest but best camera you can get. Mm. Um, learn to shoot things yourself. Learn to edit things yourself. Um, it, you know, if you have a vision and, and the hard work that I think the, the more you can do in the beginning to have control of your projects, um, the better things will turn out in, in the long run. Yeah, I couldn't really agree more with uh, what he just said at the end there, which is I think that there's this sense of like being a filmmaker or a director. It's like, well, I'll have my editor edit and I'll have my DP shoot. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, that was going to kind of be my third advice, which is editing, editing, editing. It's hard as a doc filmmaker because you're so in love with your story you're so in love with your subjects but whether you're editing yourself or you're working with an editing editing is the process of taking what's what you love about the story and then making it palpable for an audience and so you're trying to keep an audience in mind who knows nothing about your work and you know kill your darlings cut down your runtime even though ours was six and a half hours it, we probably cut it down from what was 10 hours so cut 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 edit make it make it quick make it sharp you know and and keep in mind that there's an an audience now you're competing with so many shows i mean when you go on netflix you're competing with house of cards and you're competing with the crown and you're competing with transparent on amazon and you're competing with so much great content that i think editing is is a documentary filmmaker's best friend right now Way back in the early days of the program, when TDL was really still in its infant stages, I spoke with documentary filmmaker and founder of Northwest Documentary, Ian McCluskey. Again, even today, even with the less-than-stellar production of those early episodes, 
it is another one of my favorites. I think even in the 130 episodes that would follow, no one has given such a powerful and moving portrait of what it means to live the life of a documentary filmmaker. I think the, you know, the most inspiring thing about a documentary life is that it is about curiosity and exploration. But the most profound thing about it is that it's also a responsibility. And it is a very, if I even dare say it, it's a very sacred role in society. That it is a, um, the responsibility of the story keepers. And that means those who can draw out stories that would be silent, but then they give them back to the people who they've drawn them from, or they give them back to posterity and history at large. And in my films and in the films of all the students that come through Northwest Documentary, we always um, show them publicly, and we always show them in a theater, and we always show them with the people who are part of the film themselves. And we sit as filmmaker and subject side by side and watch the film together. And it's a uh, it's a moment of giving the story back. And I just think that... Uh, with that in mind, as people go out, yes, it can. You can travel to faraway places, and you can have great experiences. But it, bringing films in the fullness of that circle, really grounds people to that role, that is important. And so, people who are called to documentary, take heart. You know, take it seriously, because fewer fewer called, and it's not very sustainable to most. But those who are called. It is a, it's an important journey and it's an important thing to do with one's life. I'd like to now take a moment to thank a few of you who have been not only very supportive of the show, but have also been in some shape or form instrumental to the success of it. Thank you to Josh Davidsberg, who produced the award-winning documentary Queen of the Capital, actually during the course of the first couple of seasons of TDL. Thank you to Bradford Rogers, who has always championed the show in his social media platforms. Bradford's a good friend who can currently be found captaining the good ship J.C. Sales somewhere off the coast of Florida. A shout-out to doc filmmaker Julie McElmurray, who has practically been with us since day one of the show. She has been producing shorts throughout the life of the show, is an important voice in the TDL Community Facebook group, and who also has always shared the show with the world. Thank you, Julie. I want to thank Majeda, or Maggie Cabariti, a documentary filmmaker who resides in Jordan. She too has been an important voice, not only in documentary, but in the TDL community. I've greatly appreciated and enjoyed our conversations over the years. Shukran. Thank you, Majeda. I'd also like to thank someone whom I've actually known since I was a little boy in Rochester, New York. Did you know that you're a creative genius? <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Maybe he's not a genius, but he certainly is creative. Carshell's, Carshell's the video guy. Carshell's bottoms up, ace. Video aces. That's what we'll call ourselves. Video aces. Would you like that? I knew Todd for many years. Together, we made some great radio programs, countless video shorts, and a lot of people crazy with our off-the-wall humor. We are going to become the most sought-after team on Earth. There was a time in the early 90s where Todd was one of my closest and most dear friends. Now, we lost touch for nearly two decades. And through some diligence and persistence, I finally was able to find my old friend, 
who had since transformed into this beautiful, highly intelligent, vastly in-touch person I now know as Gabriella. Gabrielle, who is not a documentary filmmaker, although very much documents her life in other ways, has been listening to every episode of the podcast since we reconnected nearly three years ago. She is often the first to comment on an episode and truly has been one of my biggest champions. With much gratitude, Gabrielle, I honor the person that you have become. Perhaps the person that you had always been, but the world was simply not ready to fully know. Now, the last person that I'd like to thank is Stephanie Vincenti. Not only would I like to express my deep gratitude for this person who has not only been my partner in life the past seven years, mothered our two children, has collaborated with me on our film Elvis of Cambodia, but she has also been an integral part of both our mastermind group as well as, of course, the podcast. She's also the founder of our online courses platform, The Documentary Academy, of which she has spent significant parts of two years making come to life. So thank you. Thank you so much, Steph. Again, if there is anyone that I have forgotten to mention by name, please accept my apologies. I'm sure I'll remember you after this has been recorded and put out into the world. So I will make an effort to reach out and thank you personally. And so it is that all good things must come to an end, my dear friend. But that is okay. This is life, isn't it? It has all been one big, fun, exuberant experiment and experience, this show. And it has been my honor to have you along for this incredible, truly inspiring ride. So thank you, merci beaucoup, muchas gracias, okunchran, kapunkrap, danke, grazie, spaisiba, hvalati, tirmakasi, kamsamnida, arigato, sheshe, and namaste for joining me for all of these years of the documentary life. I have been your host and fellow documentary filmmaker, Chris G. Parkhurst. So long, and thanks for all the fish, Doc Lifer. Listen, I gotta go, but um, it was really nice to have met you. No, no, you don't have to go. It's all right. You've been a bad dog, haven't Brian. you? You know, for a second there, we actually thought you were that uh, that crazy DJ character. <laughs>